the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. One of the things that I struggle to avoid is to become a professional sermon maker. I don't even like that term, sermon. One of the things I really struggle, I don't want to be cranking out sermons week after week after week for you. I don't want to be doing that. I mean, there's a sense in which I do that. But if it's only for you just to, you know, here's another Monday or Tuesday, let's start at it again. I don't want that. The joy and the challenge of the ministry is to study and discover and meditate on the truths of Scripture each week so that on Sunday I get up and I have the joy of telling you what I've discovered and what I've been uh, meditating on. Anyone who's ever taught knows that teaching is the best way to learn. You have to learn it to teach it properly. But when it comes to preaching, it's an even more pronounced effect when the message comes from the Lord as He deals personally with the pastor. Why would we expect the Holy Spirit to be involved in the delivery of a sermon if He's not involved in its development? When the text speaks to the pastor, his message will have a power and influence that you'll never find in a lecture or a speech. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be finishing up a sermon we began airing in our last class. It's the first in a series of messages from 1 Timothy chapter 4 about the marks of a good servant. Sometimes what's good for you doesn't taste as good as what's bad for you. When I was in college, mice invaded our ancient dormitory. Our resident assistant went to the maintenance department one evening and got some rat poison, intending to set it out the next morning in strategic places. Well, it must have really been yummy. He was awakened in the night by a plop and listened as the mice dragged it away. I don't know where they went with it, but we never saw another mouse after that. Sadly, there are pastors who feed their flocks spiritual rat poison because it's yummy and lots more who just hand out spiritual candy, avoiding anything that might be unpalatable. Well, there are times when the truth makes us squirm, and those are the times we most need to hear the truth. Let's get ready now as Pastor Steve shares how a good servant of God protects his flock. It's sad to say, most pastors, most pastors are not protecting the flock by teaching God's Word. And I don't say that sitting... uh, on a throne looking down upon them. That's just the fact. That's just the way it is. I'm told that by people who travel around the country who know far better than I do about the um, attitudes and things going on in local churches. I read, I listen, I talk to pastors, I get around somewhat, and I'm telling you that most pastors are not protecting their flock, or if they are protecting, they are not doing it as consistently as they should be doing it. I remember Marv Rosenthal, and I'm sure I've told you this before, told me once that 95% of the pastors in America are not teaching the Word of God. Now, that's shocking, but I'm sure that's absolutely true. In fact, the number may be higher than that. 
Well, you say, what are they doing? Well, many of them, and I'm not talking about liberals now. I'm talking about those who claim to believe and, and uh, love the Bible. Many of them are giving what I call sermonettes for Christianettes. And the tragic thing is that most people don't know the difference between an accurate, clear, and relevant exposition of Scripture and a cliche-filled sermon pulled together late Saturday night. You say, how do you know people pull sermons together Saturday night? Listen, I get in the mail all kinds of literature t- uh, that would, for, for a cost, provide me with sermons. I want you to know I don't do that. But I get all kinds, all kinds of mail that if I send in certain money, they'll send me outlines and they'll send me sermons and I can do all the other things in the ministry instead of what I'm supposed to do and that's study the word of God to feed you and protect you. I remember being with someone once. I was at a conference and uh, I was with this person and we were, uh, we were together all week and I said, well, who's, uh, who's taking your place this Sunday? He said, no one. I'm going to speak. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I said, well, when are you, when are you going to find time to prepare? And, and the schedule was grueling. He had work to do at night. I mean, I was up until uh, the, the early morning hours doing the same work that he was supposed to do. And uh, he said, uh, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. He said, I'm sure the Spirit's going to give me what I have to say. And uh, I'll get around to studying. And Wednesday passed, Thursday passed, Friday. I said, uh, well, have you got a message? No, but I will. I'm sure he had something, but it wasn't anything that was going to be that helpful to his flock. You cannot carry on the ministry that way. And I'm telling you, the tragedy is many, many Christians can't tell the difference between a cliche pulled together Saturday night sermon that says almost absolutely nothing that hasn't been said before and an exposition of Scripture. And they think if you use certain terminology, you can just blast people enough about uh, all kinds of things that are external things then, then you're really preaching. If you just yell at us enough, that's good preaching. There are some people who feel that if you just yell like a foreman does, that's good preaching. And they wouldn't know the difference between a Bible study and uh, a, a sermon that's yelling and screaming and ranting and raving and using some religious jargon and cliches. Now, I blame the weak churches in at least America today on the ineffective pastors who lead them. And there are many ineffective pastors, and many are afraid to deal with controversial issues. You know why? Because some will not like them. Some won't like them. Uh, You say, no. Believe me, that's true. They're afraid of losing people who will go to other churches. They're afraid of of uh, the decline in not only attendance, but in in the offerings. And so they compromise, and they become afraid. They, they They have fallen into the trap and the snare of serving men rather than serving God. And they won't deal with things. I mentioned before, they won't deal with things like the charismatic issue. And they'll tell you privately how they feel, but they won't tell you from the pulpit, which I've never understood uh, why you would do one and not the other. They won't deal with the, uh, the issue of the role of women in the church because they might have some women who disagree with them and they might really uh, get annoyed. They won't deal with such issues as election and predestination and even eternal security. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a game. It's a, they just silently keep to themselves what they believe. I, uh, I heard of a pastor recently that, uh, that, that a man had to take him aside and say, what do you believe about things? Tell us. man wouldn't say. This is a pastor of a church. Wouldn't say. And yet week after week he gives positive sermons and things that sound good and should be encouraging. But you know, that doesn't help the church that much. I'll tell you why. By neglecting these issues, the, the detailed issues of prophecy and 
and uh, charismatic issue. And, and by dealing with this kind of stuff head on, by neglecting these things, I should say, you don't help people, you hurt them because they have no defense when doctrines of demons reach out to pull them away from the truth. If you don't safeguard them with the truth and deal with error, even before it, it hits that specific church, then you, you are not helping people, you're only hurting them. What you're really doing is you're, you're running away and you're not being brave and facing up to being a servant of Christ. You're not a servant of Christ, you're a servant of man in the wrong sense. No, a good minister safeguards his people by teaching them the truth so that, he can, uh, det- so that they can detect error when it rears its ugly head. Now, I must tell you that in the ministry, there are a lot of people who will say, and, and I think this is wrong, they'll say about someone who's a good teacher, well, he's a good teacher, but he's not much of a pastor. Now, I want you to know that that is unbiblical. Or they'll say, it, sometimes it comes out like this, uh, well, he has a pastor's heart which is another way of saying that he can't teach. He has a pastor's heart. It's like when you were growing up and you didn't want to say that, a, that uh, uh, this girl or that guy was ugly. You'd say he has a nice personality. You know, it's, it's like that. It's a pastor's heart. Let me tell you what a pastor's heart is. A pastor's heart is filled with, with such a concern for his people that he teaches them the truth. That's a pastor's heart. That's what a pastor's heart is. I remember a friend telling me, a friend who's in the ministry, who's a wonderful pastor and who teaches the word, someone came up to him at uh, in Bible school, or might have been seminary, and said to him, uh, you are a teacher because you like books. I am a pastor because I like people. That is absurd. And a lot of people believe that. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 12, that he used to be a pastor teacher, a teaching shepherd. If he's a good teacher, he'll be a good pastor. If he's a good pastor, he'll be a good teacher. I want to quote someone, and this did not originate with me, but I think it's powerful. He said that a, a good pastor is called to protect the sheep, not pet them. Do you understand what I mean? Some people think that a good pastor is one who can sit with people and just kind of pet them and, and uh, always be encouraging, and just spend all his time encouraging and never teach, never have time to get into the Word of God. The Bible says, and this is why we're evaluating a good minister in light of the word of God, that a good minister is one who protects the sheep. He's not one who spends all of his time petting the sheep. So if you must evaluate a minister, then do it by biblical standards. He protects the flock by exposing error and teaching truth. There is a second mark of a good minister, and that is he feeds himself. He's not only involved with feeding others and presenting truth to other people, but he feeds on the word himself. Look at the uh, rest of verse 6. He's constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Well, that's tremendous, and we might pass over this quickly, but that is tremendous. The thought here is that he nourishes himself, that is, he needs, uh, he reads and inwardly digests the Bible for himself. He meditates on it. He thinks on the words of Scripture. He thinks on the doctrines that flow out of the Scripture. That is so important. You see, Scripture is to be flowing through him. He's to be fresh. What he says when he gets up in public and teaches is to be what, what, he's been, uh, what has been flowing through his heart and mind. As Charles Spurgeon once said, his blood is to be bibbling. He doesn't just 
pull out some things and put it together, as I said, on a Saturday night. He is really involved in interacting with the Word of God. Listen, good ministers let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. That means if you're a Sunday school teacher, you better not start looking at it on Saturday night and say, what have we got here? You will not be a good minister if you do that. Or even Friday night. It must have a time to digest in your heart and mind. You cannot just put things together. You might get by, but you won't be helping yourself, and you won't be helping anybody you minister to, and certainly you won't be honoring the Lord. You see, you must have time to internalize the truth of Scripture so that what you teach is the overflow of your life. Now, that's very important for those of you who teach, especially the younger ones in Sunday school, that you can't just look at a Bible story on Saturday and say, okay, I'll get up and and do that. No, it must have a chance to really uh, mingle in your heart and interact with it and internalize these truths. That's part of being a good minister. You see, it's very common for a pastor to become so busy trying to find food to teach others that he fails to nourish his own soul on the food he prepares for others. Now, did you get that? It's very, very common for a pastor to be so busy looking for food to feed others that he doesn't take the time to, to let that same food nourish his own soul. What Paul is saying to Timothy is this. Timothy, what you are teaching about refuting error, about the truths, about what's going on at the church at Ephesus ought to be flowing through you so that what you teach is not something extra, it is just the overflow of what's already in your heart and mind. One of the things that I struggle to avoid is to become a professional sermon maker. I don't even like that term, sermon. One of the things I really struggle, I don't want to be cranking out sermons week after week after week for you. I don't want to be doing that. I mean, there's a sense in which I do that. But if it's only for you just to, you know, here's another Monday or Tuesday, let's start at it again. I don't want that. The joy and the challenge of the ministry is to study and discover and meditate on the truths of Scripture each week so that on Sunday I get up and I have the joy of telling you what I've discovered and what I've been uh, meditating on. The great joy is teaching you, but it's teaching you what has already been taught to me so that what I'm doing is not something that is, uh, that is a loop from my own experience. As I said this morning, as I approach the book of Revelation, I want to be mastered by it. That's how we, we ought to approach everything. Do you do that in your home Bible study? Do you do that in Sunday school? Have the truths been applied to your own life? See, that's why when we have a question and answer period, somebody gets up and says, now what about this next thing that you're going to be covering? And I usually say something like, I don't know. haven't gotten up to it yet. And that's really the truth. Uh, I, I usually say, ask me next week because I don't know it yet, because I feed you what I have been feeding on during the week. I'm really not that bright. I don't have a whole lot uh, of experience behind me. I'm just studying each week, and I get up and tell you. I think that's the pattern that ought to be in good ministers. Timothy was nourished on the words of the faith, that is, he meditated on it, and it flowed through him, the, the flow and content of Scripture, and the sound doctrine, that's the unchanging truths and principles which came and come out of Scripture. Do you meditate on God's truth? Do you really think about it? I don't mean every, every moment of the day, but when you can. When you teach a Sunday school class, does it grip your heart first? Does it really do that? Otherwise, you know what it is? It's dead orthodoxy. Otherwise, it's, it's just um, it's stale. And people know that. People know when, when what you're teaching is divorced from reality. 
It's cliches. It's religious words. It's, it's things that are floating up here that, are ne- that have never become a part of you. And people can tell that. They can tell it in your life. They can tell it in your teaching. They can tell it in your lack of enthusiasm. The reason some of us aren't good ministers is because we can't teach others what, isn't, uh, what has never been alive in our own lives. There's one final mark that we'll look at tonight. A good minister protects his flock and he feeds himself. And thirdly, he avoids error. The beginning of verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. There's a contrast between uh, the food that Timothy is to feed on in verse 6 and the trash of verse 7, worldly fables. That's why the beginning of this verse says, but... You know, in other words, Timothy, feed on on these things, nourish yourselves on the words of Scripture, but don't feed on the garbage that's called worldly fables. He used to have nothing to do with error. That is to say that while he must be aware, and you and I must be aware of error, we can't close our eyes to error and say, uh, and be naive about it. We have to be aware of error so we can meet it head on and refute it with the Scriptures, but we are to avoid dwelling on error. This is a strong word that he says in verse 7, have nothing to do with. That's one Greek word which means reject, refuse, shun, turn away from. Why? Why do we turn away from? These are called worldly fables. That is, they're myths. Same thing he said in chapter 1, verse 4. These are myths, but they're not just worldly in the sense that they might be found in a worldly magazine. It's not the word here. Worldly doesn't convey the, the thought. The word is they're not sacred. They're not holy. They're godless. They're profane. In fact, I think that's how the authorized version translates it. Profane uh, legends or tales or myths. These are fables. They're they're made-up stories. They're not things that are true. And he says in verse 7, interesting phrase, fables that are fit only for old women. What does he mean by this? Apparently... This was a sarcastic saying in, in uh, circles of Greek, with Greek philosophers. And a philosopher would use this to, con- to convey that an opponent's philosophy lacked evidence, uh, that he believed it without any substantial evidence, that uh, it was believed without a whole lot of support. It was uh, uh, like a tale of old, that old women tell naive children who believe every word of it without questioning it. That's the thought here. It's fables that old women would tell young children and young children would be gullible enough to believe it and never question it. That's the thought here. It's error. It's error that's ridiculous. Timothy and you, me, we are not to fritter away our time with these errors. We're not to become experts in them. We're not to be preoccupied with them. Error is not the preoccupation of a good minister. We're not to fill our minds with this kinds of unholy garbage. An effective and good servant of Christ doesn't occupy his mind with error. You say, well, doesn't everybody know this? Apparently not. If you looked at the uh, catalog of most evangelical seminaries and many Bible schools, many of their courses deal with error. Now, I understand what they're doing. They are trying to prepare their, uh, their students and equip them when they're out of the school to deal with the culture they live in. But I, I tend to think that the seminaries especially go overboard and they are preparing uh, students who really don't know how to exposit the word of God, but they know the culture and the profane uh, beliefs that their uh, day and age has. I think they go overboard. They have them read books that are that's filled with error, philosophy. They want them to go to see certain movies and television things. That's nothing but what Paul says, unholy uh, things. They are profane things. They are old wives' tales, 
Worldly fables fit only for old women. I don't believe that we are to clutter our mind with error. Now, we've got to know something about error. We can't hide our heads in the sand and, and, and uh, make believe that it doesn't exist. But you've got to know error only in the sense of, of its uh, basic thrust so that you can meet it head on with Scripture. You're not to become experts in error to the neglect of the Word of God. We ought not to be ignorant of society's thinking, but on the other hand, the major pursuit of our lives is not to feed on error, but to feed on the Word. Very few Bible colleges major in the Bible these days. Very few. They want to deal with issues. They, want to, they claim that they're on the, the cutting edge of society, and so they must know everything society is all about. I think that's really tragic, that we turn from the Bible to deal with counterfeit beliefs. Our pursuit is the word of God. Now, next week, we're going to see that our pursuit is also godliness. To be a good minister, you must be godly. He says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We'll deal a little bit with exercise and uh, what Paul has to say about its profit and lack of profit. But as we close this, must ask, are you a good servant of Christ? Now, you don't need to be overly modest. If these things fit you, you could say, by God's grace, I am a good servant. I have been, and I, I trust by the grace of God I'll continue to be. Do you protect those entrusted to your care, or are you more concerned about whether they'll like you or not like you? Say, that's the issue. Are you concerned about, about their care, that you might say something that'll ruffle them, that'll disturb them, but it's the truth? Or are you concerned with, they might not like me. They might leave my class. They might say some things about me that uh, I don't want to hear. They might go to another church. Are you a good servant of Christ? Do you meditate on, on God's word and minister his truths to others as the overflow of your own heart and not something you pulled out of a commentary and just secondhand that you're just an echo and carbon of what every, everybody else has said? Now, I'm not saying you can't use commentaries, but I am saying make sure it goes through your heart and the scriptures and the commentaries through your heart to others. Don't let it bypass you or else it's just stale and everybody knows it and it won't minister, won't have an impact. Are you a good servant of Christ? You avoid error by not wasting your time discussing and debating it. You can do that. You can spend all of your time debating and discussing and Paul says don't even honor that kind of stuff by spending much time with it, avoid it, refuse it. It is worldly, profane fables fit only for old women to tell young children who believe everything. Don't even give it that much honor to spend time with it. These are the marks of a good sermon. And if we are going to evaluate biblically what a good minister is, this is what we evaluate, not the size of the church, not the popularity, not uh, even his eloquence, but does he protect the flock does he feed himself, and does he avoid error? Those are the first three marks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've spelled out for us these marks that help us to know who's the kind of godly servant we should follow and who we should avoid. And Lord, as I think about it, we're all your servants and have people that we minister to, whether we're pastors or not. So help us to not only look for those three marks Pastor Steve just described in our leaders, but also to seek to develop them in ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For directions to Lakeside or to get service times, call the office at 
1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Today brings us to the end of Pastor Steve's first message in a series about the marks of a good servant. If you'd like to hear the entire message without interruption, all of Pastor Steve's sermons are available on free audio CDs. To get your copy of this particular message, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 and ask for Sermon 6131, Marks of a Good Servant, Part 1. Another option is to visit the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org where we offer all of our previous broadcasts for free streaming or download. For those who would like to help us with the production and airtime expenses, we also have a giving page where it's easy and safe to make a gift. Or you can call Lakeside at that same phone number, 727-441-1714. We are grateful for the generous listeners who help make these Bible classes of the air possible. Our web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Years ago, I was visiting a church in another country, and the pastor was preaching through a translator. At one point, the translator stopped and asked the preacher the meaning of one of the words he'd used. I'd seen evidence on previous occasions that that pastor didn't write his own sermons, but it became very clear when he responded to his translator by saying, I don't know the meaning of it either. (laughs) Oh my, next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will examine more closely those three marks of a good servant. He protects his flock, he feeds himself, and he avoids error. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by... We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.